Hi, I'm Wendy Mosier, and welcome to Love You, Mom, an Alzheimer's Story. This is episode number nine. In the last episode, episode number eight, we discussed our last trip to the Oregon coast. In this episode, we'll discuss an 11-day period in December 2020 when we almost lost her. Love You, Mom, an Alzheimer's Story is brought to you by Toasted Marshmallow Adventures Studio. If you are looking for a studio to tape your podcast or looking for someone to help you with your podcast production, please contact Chris or Wendy via email at gettoasted at toastedmarshmallowadventures.com. We offer a full-service podcast studio, everything from setup to publishing. We have packages available with a price list that we can email you, or you can create your own package with our help. Thank you so much for listening, following, subscribing, and telling your friends. This helps us so much. And now, let's get on with the show. Episode number nine, We Almost Lost Her. December 2020 was the hardest December I've ever experienced. I was already really struggling with my mom's diagnosis and decline. There'd been a couple of times in October and November when I literally thought I was losing my mind. What worried me was that Chris, who works in psych, was concerned as well. My brain was so overwhelmed with my mom's Alzheimer's that it's all I could think about. It was all I would talk about. I was crying constantly, and work was really the only time I could forget. I had to put on a smiling face for my clients and for those few hours pretend that everything was fine. I was crying the moment that I got up or got in my car or when I'd think about it at work. I would burst into uncontrollable sobbing fits like when I was a kid. The kind that feel like if someone asked you if you were okay, you'd say, no, no, I'm not okay, and keep sobbing. I had a lot of people asking me several times a day about how my mom was doing. I hated that. Absolutely hated it. It felt like I couldn't get a break from thinking about her and her diagnosis, and right when I'd forget for a moment, someone would ask how she was. I never knew how to answer. I still don't. I'd say, I mean, well, she has Alzheimer's. What are people really asking? And then sometimes I would take a chance and share something that perhaps was going on with my mom. And the amount of people that laugh when you tell them about something serious and painful astounded me. Laughing. Laughing when all I'd been doing for months, it seemed, was crying. I stopped telling people. I have a motto that works for me, that if I can't handle an answer, I don't ask the question. This applied here. I wasn't handling people's reactions to me answering their, how's your mom question, so I stopped sharing info. I'd say she's fine or great, and they seem satisfied with the answer. Did they really want the truth? The truth was that she was failing. Her verbal skills were declining. We could all see it. It was getting more difficult for her to do her activities of daily living on her own. We would help her in the bathroom, get dressed, and eventually eat. Pills were becoming more and more difficult to get in. She would outright refuse at times and you'd have to wait to try again later. All I thought about was my mom. All I talked about was my mom. It was during this time that I thought that having a couple of drinks was a good idea. I knew it was medicating the pain that I was feeling, and I'm very aware that my dad was an alcoholic and I may have some genetics that makes alcohol dangerous for me, 
But what if I could feel better for an evening? What if? I wish I hadn't, and that's why I'm telling this part of the story. I hope it helps one person. It started with some sips of vodka. It made me feel good. A couple more sips and I wasn't as worried about my mom. For the first time in months, the pain was slowly dissolving, and then the sadness came. I went into the bathroom and texted one of my best friends, Willie. He's one of the few people in my life that takes all of my good with all of my bad and doesn't judge me. Having a person with a diagnosis of Alzheimer's made me feel judged at times. Everyone has their idea of how you should be doing things and they aren't afraid to tell you, even if you didn't ask. I would find myself explaining why we were doing certain things in certain ways to people that may or may not know my mom, but definitely weren't there to see how Alzheimer's were affecting her. They didn't know the whole story, and yet still they felt the need to tell me how they would do it and how we should do it. Those emotions were difficult for me to deal with, and I was angry. I was angry at the disease. I was angry that my mom was being taken from me in such a horrific way. Angry at people that asked questions and reacted badly. Angry at people that thought that they knew better but really had no idea. And I drank more, texting Willie about how sad I was. I stayed in that bathroom for most of the night as I slowly went into a blackout, temporarily losing my mind. I ended up taking everything off the bathroom counter by either pushing it onto the floor or throwing it into the shower. I took a bathroom stool and tossed it into the shower. I pounded my hands on the glass shower doors and tried to break them. I was trying to break myself. I was yelling things like, she's gone, my mom's gone, as if she'd passed away. I lay down in the shower and I sobbed, gut-wrenching, unstoppable sobbing. I felt suicidal. I didn't want to be here without her. I didn't want to spend any more time watching her slowly die before my eyes. After a couple hours of this, I finally passed out. It was a Wednesday, December 9th, 11.35 a.m. when I got a text from John to please call when I could. I knew something was up. I didn't generally get a call-when-you-can text that was good. I was worried. I called. Things with Mom were bad, and John wanted to know if we could come early. We'd been arriving Thursdays around 3 p.m. each week. John asked if we could come Wednesday evening. I told him that I'd cancel the rest of my clients for that day and call Chris. The next text that I sent John was that we'd be there by 7. And so it began. The longest 11 days I think our team had ever experienced. Chris and I arrived at 7 p.m. as expected with Duchess and all of our weekend gear. I remember my main focus was getting into the house to see how I could help while Chris unloaded the car and got Duchess situated. I went into the house finding Mom and John, and when John could break away, he explained the situation. Mom hadn't been eating or drinking for the last couple of days, and she wasn't really talking. Her sleep was disturbed as well up in the middle of the night for hours, and John was exhausted. We thought that this was probably a side effect of mom getting COVID. In episode eight, we ended with Chris driving mom and I to Nampa for the reset of all resets. 
If you haven't listened to that episode yet, please go back and listen. What we didn't know at the time was that Chris had COVID. We were all in that car together for three hours, breathing the same air. Chris had symptoms the following week, and a day after his started, I had symptoms. I remember calling John to tell him the terrible news. We had worked for months to keep ourselves safe, trying to do everything possible to keep mom safe, and here we had been in a car with her, probably giving her COVID. Chris and I were sick throughout Thanksgiving. Mom and John began getting symptoms after that and went in for COVID tests. They tested positive. Chris and I felt guilty. We were the ones that had given my mom the dreaded COVID, the one thing we hadn't wanted. We had purelled and washed, masked, and social distanced, but here we were. John told us that we wouldn't have done anything differently. He said that he wasn't able to do it on his own, and if we hadn't been there, well, my mom's summer would have been very different and definitely not as fun. That made us feel better. We talked to John about whether we should come to help with mom, and John felt like he could go it alone. My mom's COVID symptoms made her tired. She had a cough, a sore throat, and congestion, but no serious or really scary symptoms. We had heard from mom's doctor that people with Alzheimer's and dementia were getting, were having pretty adverse reactions that can really dump their system. It seemed that doctors weren't sure why, but COVID was making Alzheimer's and dementia symptoms worse. And so when we arrived on that Wednesday, mom was over her COVID symptoms. This was something different, and we believed this might be the dump that mom's doctor had mentioned. This might be an irreversible effect of COVID. We were used to the Alzheimer's symptoms getting worse naturally and gradually, but mom might have just gone downhill very quickly and might not be able to come back to the state she was prior to COVID. It was scary. I remember feeling spacey, like I was walking through a dream or nightmare. At one point, through tears, saying, this isn't happening, right? My mom isn't becoming a COVID statistic, is she? It was surreal, and I couldn't really grasp the fact that this was really happening. This was my life right now. It takes a while sometimes for my brain to catch up with reality. My mom was pacing for hours, I mean literally hours upon end, and if she tried to lay down, which she attempted frequently, she could not get comfortable. She didn't speak. She didn't make eye contact. No food or water entered her mouth. We offered and there was no response except constant movement. The movement never stopped and it was exhausting. I remember one time when John and I were both in the bedroom with her, she was trying to get comfortable in bed. She was on the bed, eyes closed, and we breathed a sigh of relief. Maybe we would all get some sweet relief. John took out his watch and timed it. It was seconds before she moved again and got out of bed, like nine seconds. She could not be still. She would walk quietly through the house, hunched over at the waist, kind of seeming like a zombie. Very zombie-like behavior. She wouldn't respond to us. My mom wasn't there. This disease had taken her. I remember talking to John about how I didn't think she was going to make it. It didn't seem like there was any coming back from this. I cried and cried as we cared for her, and I imagined my life without her. I didn't think I'd make it. 
I had to really wrap my head around the idea of losing my mom in the not-too-distant future. I googled how long she might survive without food. I cried hard. How long could she go without drinking water? It didn't look good. I told Chris she was dying and he already knew. Having to care for her, wanting to care for her in her final days helped me get through it. I don't really know how, but I got to the realization that this was it. And if this was it, she was going to have the best damn care that we could provide. I grieved. We all did. We were there to keep her safe from falls, to make sure she didn't hit her head or touch the wood stove. We were there in their home so that she didn't have to go to a hospital and be in a hospital room by herself. John asked how long I could stay, and I told him that Chris needed to get back to work on Sunday, but I could contact my clients and tell them that my mom was very sick and I wasn't sure when I'd be back. I got confirmation from John to go ahead with that plan, and I began sending texts to clients whenever I got a free moment. I told them that I wasn't sure when I'd be back, that my mom was dying, and I'd keep them posted. They were all amazing, sending me love, strength, and support. They told me to take care of my family for as long as I needed, and that they'd be there waiting for me when I returned. I'm so grateful for my clients. I was so worried about my mom. It was a relief to know that I had a job to return to, that I had clients that cared. I'm very lucky to have good people surrounding me. John set up a schedule for us. I still have one from that time. The schedule would be left on the counter daily, and I'd prepare for sleeping at weird hours. Chris was sort of our in-between help person. He would run to the store when we needed supplies for us or for mom. He would spell us when we needed to use the restroom or if we needed a shower. He took care of Duchess and he made me food that I could easily grab and go. We weren't leaving mom alone at all. The schedule that I recently found from December 2020 says 7 to 9 p.m. John, 9 to 11 p.m. Wendy, 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. John, 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. Wendy, 8 to 11 a.m. John, and so it would go. I remember John asking if I was sleeping, and I wasn't. He said with the years that he had in the Coast Guard, he could easily fall asleep and then wake up quickly to be ready at sea. I was struggling and spending days feeling like I'd partied all night, but really I just wasn't getting any good sleep. I remember feeling guilty that he gave me such a large amount of time to attempt to sleep, 11 to 5 a.m. Maybe I'd get a few good hours, and then we'd hit it again. Thursday or Friday, John decided we needed to get Mom to the ER, but with COVID, we were very hesitant. We had heard that people were getting transferred to Boise, about a three-hour drive, and we wouldn't be able to go with her in the ambulance. That would be horrific for mom, and we wanted to avoid that at all costs. She needed to see someone, though. John had been monitoring her oxygen levels and blood pressure. No liquid or food in days. We got her into the car, bundled in a large coat that went to her knees as the winters in McCall are very cold. We caravaned to the ER in McCall. Chris followed behind us in our car. 
I stayed in the car with Mom and John to assist as I could. We got Mom into a wheelchair, and she and John went upstairs after the check-in process. The plan was that John was going to keep us posted, and we'd go from there. We weren't sure what the outcome would be. John called a couple of hours in and asked us to come back and get Lily, who was waiting in the car. I still have a text that I sent to John at 7.46 that evening. It said in part, Heading to get Lily, I hope they can chemically restrain Mom. I'm so sorry. I wish I could be in the hospital room to help. We had heard from John that it wasn't going well at all. He had had to wait in the room with Mom for an hour or so before getting help. She wasn't being cooperative. Nothing was making sense to her, I imagine, in her state, and she was combative. The nurse gave her something to calm her, and when that didn't work, she got more. She finally rested for maybe 20 minutes and then was awake again and fighting. They were trying not to physically restrain her, but I believe at one point they may have had to. John said she rocked back and forth forcefully for hours. That is not an exaggeration, literally hours. She was dangerously low in potassium, deathly low levels. They were giving her IV bags to try to reset her system to normal levels. It took six hours. Six long, horrifically difficult hours for John. John asked that Chris and I stay awake and wait for his call. He wasn't sure if he'd be able to get Mom into the house on his own. We got a call from John around midnight. They were a few minutes away, and could, could we meet him outside? We bundled up and met Mom and John at the garage. Mom was still in a catatonic state. John was as frustrated and exhausted as I've ever seen him. He said it was the worst six hours of his life, and we were not ever going to take Mom to the ER again. Chris and I told John that we'd get Mom and we both got on either side of her to walk with her. We took a few steps from the garage out into the ice and snow just outside the garage. Mom was dead weight. I looked behind us, and we were actually dragging my mom's legs behind us. I made an executive decision and said, let's do a fireman carry, and we both got an arm under mom's legs and one under each arm, lifting her up the steps and into the house. We also desperately wanted her to sleep, we wanted her to sleep, for her, and for us. We needed sleep so badly. I remember Chris and I carrying her into the bedroom, and we didn't mean to, but we kind of flopped Mom onto the bed. She was beyond tired, and for the first time in days, fell asleep instantly. Thank God. We thought it was over. We thought she would go back to sleeping at night and being awake during the day. We thought she'd start eating and drinking again. We thought she'd start talking again. She slept for a couple of hours, and then it started again. Mom was still pacing. Mom was still catatonic. Saturday came, and it was time for Chris to head back to Nampa to be able to get to work on Sunday. He asked if he should take Duchess home with him, and I initially said yes because I thought that I wouldn't have time to care for her, but then thought about it and changed my mind. I needed the comfort of Duchess. I needed her little tail wags, her kisses, and her understanding. 
Duchess was also a huge asset to mom's health, and just in case we had a shot at saving mom, we needed our pup around to work her magic. Duchess and I were in it for the long haul. I remember neither John or I wanted Chris to leave. It felt like we were losing a very valued member, and we were. Someone to spell us, to give us a break, to run to the store, our support. I remember John and I looking at each other and saying, just you and me now. We can do this, right? We've got this, don't we? Chris loaded up the car and I felt sad. We had a long road ahead. He'd be back the following Thursday, or if he could swing it, he'd come early and arrive on Wednesday. I remember really hoping he could come back on Wednesday. We didn't know how this was going to go with just two of us two of us watching mom. It had to be okay. COVID was still running rampant. We didn't want to put mom into a facility without being able to see her for months if she survived. If she didn't make it, we wanted to be there to comfort her during her final moments on earth. We didn't have great options available to us and we made the most of whatever we had. Three people that loved her and were willing to do whatever it took. Before Chris left, he made me a couple of days worth of wraps, meat and cheese in a tortilla, easy to grab and go food. Chris ran to the store for John and got him some cliff bars. He could eat these quickly for energy. I hugged Chris several times and then waved as he backed down the driveway. Here we go. The next couple of days were more of the same. Mom awake around the clock and John and I following her everywhere, living on minutes at times of sleep. Both of us kind of turning into zombies ourselves. Tick. Talk. I'd watch the clock and hope that it was soon John's turn to take over so that I could close my eyes and try to catch a cat nap. I remember one night in particular, Mom was trying over and over and over to get comfortable in bed. She was so uncomfortable. We figured that her back hurt more than usual because she'd rocked back and forth forcefully for six hours in that hospital room. She would sit on, on the side of the bed and lie back. We'd swing her legs up and she'd lay there for a minute maybe. That's probably being very generous and then she'd move or get up or be in a position that you had to watch to make sure that she didn't hurt herself. We used chairs at the head of the bed to watch her, and there was a wooden bench at the end of the bed to sit on. We spent hours rotating through those seated positions or following her into the living room in her haze. She still wasn't talking, eating, or drinking. She would occasionally do things that seemed odd if you didn't know her, but they were, and still are, a normal activity in her daily life. She would hold onto the bed and lower herself to the floor. She spends time on the floor periodically. She stretches on the floor. She'll lay on her back and put her knees to her chest to release the tension in her back. One of those long nights she ended up on the floor, and then I was on the floor with her in front of their bed. I remember she tried to get up on her own and couldn't. She'd been going for days nonstop and was losing her strength. 
My mom is a strong woman with amazing balance after years of yoga, but she could not get up and I was so tired that I thought maybe we were safer on the floor. We couldn't trip. There was less possibility of her falling over. I took pillows and placed them around hard things so that she wouldn't hit her head. John had already put a sleeping bag on the floor for his shifts with mom and I thought maybe, just maybe, if mom got comfortable, we could take a middle-of-the-night nap on the floor. And it worked. Mom fell asleep and so did I. It was short but glorious, not lasting more than an hour, but it felt so good. Sleep, beautiful sleep. As the days passed, we noticed mom was putting objects up to her lips and kind of making a slurping sound. Was she saying something? What was she telling us? I asked John if he had straws, and we cut one, put it in juice, and she drank. I remember being elated that she was drinking again. It wasn't fast, but it seemed like mom was coming out of her zombie state. Holy crap, she might live. She would put her favorite small rocks to her mouth, make a slurp sound, and we'd rush over with a, a glass. We'd been told that in order to keep her potassium levels high enough to sustain life, we should get Pedialyte. John bought several bottles at Rite Aid. We noticed Mom was coughing after drinking, and we became concerned about aspirating. Alzheimer's and dementia patients can aspirate easily if they forget how to swallow. Liquid can go into their lungs, and they can get pneumonia and die. I don't know where the memory came from, but all of a sudden it popped into my head. When I worked in a nursing home in my 20s, we used to use a product called Thicket to thicken drinks for patients that were prone to aspirating. I looked online to see if I'd made up the name and was delighted to see that my memory was correct and they actually sold it at Rite Aid. John made another trip to town and we started mixing all of her drinks with Thicket. What a lifesaver. If you've never used it, a little bit can go a long way, and if needed, you can nearly solidify a liquid to make it safe for your loved one. You can make it so thick that any juice, water, soda needs to be eaten with a spoon. My mom stopped coughing when she drank. The thicket was working. We tried food. John had the great idea of putting out bowls of food that she loved, and that favorite food was Cheetos. He'd put a bowl on the counter, and as Mom walked by, she'd snag a couple. Perfect. At this point, we didn't care what she was eating as long as she got some calories. She had definitely lost weight in the last week, and she did not have much extra weight with which to work. We needed her to eat. Yogurt, peaches and cottage cheese, eggs with pesto, and anything from this great bakery in McCall were on the list of foods that we tried. She was getting better. In the span of a little over a week, I'd had to reconcile the fact that we couldn't save my mom and that she was going to die. And now, just a few days later, it looked like she might make it. It was crazy and awesome, and yet knowing that my mom hadn't wanted to live like this, should I be happy? Was I just being happy for myself? I remember asking John if he thought that mom was doing this intentionally. The not eating, not drinking, not taking her pills. John said at the time that a close family friend had asked him the same thing. We shrugged. We didn't know. 
I don't remember her first words to us, but she began talking again. It was so crazy. John started calling around to find in-home care. We weren't sure with COVID if people were going to be comfortable coming into their home, but we had to find help and fast. Chris was coming back to McCall that Wednesday, and if Mom was well enough, we'd both head back to Nampa on Saturday. We could no longer go through this alone. Luckily, after a few calls, John was able to set up care, and before we left for home on that Saturday, we met with the caregiver that would be coming to their home to help. They seemed like amazing, awesome people to be helping others in their homes during COVID. My mom seemed comfortable with the caregiver. We breathed a sigh of relief. It had been 11 days. I hadn't left the house once except to walk Duchess down Mom and John's snowy driveway. I'd lost weight, which was a bonus, but I wasn't eating right or really taking care of myself. We'd gone through the emotions of almost losing someone and then bringing them back from the brink of death. And so, on that snowy Saturday around 3 p.m. when we backed down the driveway, my mom was again eating, drinking, talking, and smiling. We made it through the worst 11 days of our lives, and it ended well. We don't take it for granted. We have seen a glimpse of what might lie in our future. We aren't scared. We know we're strong and capable, and we'll hold strong and do whatever we need to do. We were and are so grateful to be given more time. Thank you so much for listening. There will not be an associated video on YouTube this week as there were no pictures taken during this time. The next and final episode from Love You Mom and Alzheimer's Story will come out in two weeks. Episode number 10 will take you through a tough decision-making process to the present. I'm excited to have you meet the mom that I have now. She's the sweetest, and she exudes love, even in her current state, or maybe somewhat because of it. She loves hugs, cards, animals, people, and more hugs. She's my little mom-pom, and I'm grateful every single day, every day, for her.